0: Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Tuesday late morning. Joining me from New York City is Tim Bontus.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Join me from Dallas, Texas, the one, the only, thank God, Van McMahon.
2: Howdy, partners. Is that my theme song I hear?
0: Nope. Oh. Okay, and our special guest this week now joining us, I'm going to call him Phoenix Suns point guard, Chris Paul, because the trade hasn't happened yet and isn't going to happen until after the draft. So, Chris, let's be prim and proper. I don't know if you'll ever be Washington Wizards guard, Chris Paul. Stay tuned. But the reason you're here is because uh, you wrote a book. Uh, 61 Life Lessons from Papa on and off the court, which you wrote with Michael Wilbon. Uh, I've read a big chunk of it, Chris. Um, you are somebody who generally has kept your own counsel. You're not somebody who will reveal a ton. You are very revealing in this book, especially about your childhood and college years. Um, and it's this is a kind of a, I mean, I guess it's a heartwarming story. as You talk about your Papa Chili who people may, know about you was um killed when you were in high school and the reason it's 61 is because he passed away when he was 61 and one of the great parts of your story is 61 points that you scored in a high school game after his death that's what the story is based around but i'm it's interesting to me that you were so um you really were telling a lot about yourself and revealing a lot of your emotions, mostly in your, in your formative years. That's not something we've seen from you before. So I want to know why, why, why did you feel like you wanted to do this?
3: First? Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. That's a, um it's interesting you say that as far as revealing uh, we'll probably come back to that at some other point, but I, I felt like it was, it was time to tell the story. It's funny when I was in high school after I scored 61 points, someone that came down to my school and, asked us about doing a movie about it. And at the time we were like, we ain't really know much about nothing, but somebody told us it might mess up my college eligibility. So we was like, oh, we ain't doing that. We're not doing (laughs) that. And so now it's funny, man, like being 38 and realizing that it was 20 years ago. Had I wrote this when I was 25, even 30 years ago, I mean, 30 years old, I wouldn't have the perspective that I have now, right? Because I look at it from a totally different lens and I look at it from... My own personal lens, even as I was 17 years old, but now more so as being a parent of a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old, so it just gave me more perspective by waiting to do it now.
0: Little Chris is 14.
3: That's crazy, right? <laughs>
0: You've been doing State Farm anymore. commercials for a long time. For a real long <laughs> <It's>
3: time. A- <laughs> used to take to them press conferences with me too.
0: Right. Now, now one of Aaron. the one of the things that you say in here that I'll I'll probably always remember is um, you talked about your grandfather's hands because he worked at he had a service station and whenever he would come to your games, uh, whether it was football or basketball. If we had more time, I'd ask you about your Pop Warner career because I'll bet you were a hell of a football player. I went uh, to the
3: national championship Pop Warner.
0: Was it as a running back?
3: I played quarterback, middle linebacker, receiver.
0: Yeah, but did you I run mean, a lot you, a knew, you knew quarterback, come on, yeah, man. Right. The guy's a point guard. I ran, I
3: ran a lot, though, as a yeah. running back.
0: Yeah, I'll bet you ran a lot. Um, could have been a good career. Um, anyway, you talked about how his hands were always dirty because he was always coming from the um, service station, and your hands have been battered up throughout your career. You've had a bunch of surgeries, and you've got all scars. And I thought something one of the most uh, – you know, Wilbon, uh, Michael Wilbon, our colleague – and this book is written um very i think young adults I would actually recommend it even for young adults it's 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 a good book for it's not a hard read not it's just it's very simply written but the authenticity of this I feel it uh, I feel it in your voice and when you talk about looking at your hands and seeing the your trade on your hands like you saw your grandfather's, that was extremely uh, i really felt that so i i, I that's that's what I mean by you letting us in. When you say you look at your hands and you think of your grandfather with what you've been through.
3: Yeah, it's crazy because um, usually I look at my hands and I get mad because I remember each injury and when it happened, you know, like this one was the playoff against Portland after a steal. This one was right after the Olympics. This one was Russell Westbrook trying to do the sweep through. This one was after that fall when Pat Bev undercut me and, but I mean, you just remember all these different things, but it is, it is wild to know that I have that connection with my grandfather, because I mean, he could have on a nice suit at church, but as soon as he put his hands up, you knew that he, he, he ran the service station.
0: Yeah. Well, I really encourage people who are your fans. And even if they're not, it's, I'm not just saying this because you're on this. I mean, I, people will probably assume that, um, I am learning about you as I read it. Um, even though I knew the basics of the story and the tragedy that it was because he was murdered, but we are so rare for us to get you in. And I want to respect your time here. And I don't really want to talk about the trade too much. I guess one of these guys will ask you a question about it, but yeah, it'll get worked out in the next few days. You're talking on a whole bunch of other stuff. There's, there's stuff that a bunch of us have always wanted to talk to you about. So, Let's just, if we can, you take a few questions about your career because I there's some fascinating stuff that you've had. So uh, I think McMahon, you wanted to start.
2: Well, I, I do think we've at least got a hit on the trade. We're kind of joking about it. You're in this state of transition, and Chris, you've you have been traded in your career when you wanted to be and where you wanted to be, and you've been traded when you didn't have any control. You've been on all sides of this. Yeah. I understand this is kind of a a situation that is in the process of working out, but. How are you processing, uh, you know, the fact that a very successful chapter in Phoenix is, is coming or essentially has come to a close? And how are you hoping this works out once the, the smoke is clear and, the, and, you know, the full transaction is done?
3: Yeah, I don't know. It's like a sort of uncertainty, you know, uh, as like one horse opened up with, he was like, it's not official, but obviously it is what it is. So. I just got to wait and see what happens, basically. And being in a career this long, it's been times where I knew trade was happening, haven't. but you just think i might have said say yesterday is that you realize that nobody owes you anything. You know what I mean? And that's good and well. So I think for me, if you do call it a problem, it's a good problem to have because at least I know I'm going to be playing.
0: Let me ask you this. You're probably going to get 15 extra million dollars guaranteed out of this. <laughs> does that, does that, I mean, I would say that probably wasn't a bad day. Because you you know you were looking at maybe getting waived. Does that you care about that at all? I mean, is that like well, at least I'm getting. You said you found out on the plane. I hope you were on a nice plane because you just got fifteen million as part of that deal.
3: Yeah, but as you said, I usually don't say too much, you know, because because right. I know a lot more than I know usually gets divulged. So sure, like I'm yeah, I'm I'm never gonna complain about something or whatnot, but it's not always. What you
1: think it is? <laughs> well, something that wasn't what we thought it was was, I guess, about eleven, twelve years ago when everybody thought you were going to be a Laker. We talk about things that were going to happen and weren't going to happen. I, I just will never forget both hearing that trade was going to happen and then a short time later finding out that David Stern had vetoed it and then it wasn't going to happen. And I was curious, sort of, what were your emotions like, you know, leading up to that finding out, like, hey, I'm I'm sure you were told, hey, going to go play with Kobe, maybe talk to Kobe about it. And then like what was sort of that whole roller coaster like from start to finish? Uh,
3: I've said a number of times that's a whole book in itself, (laughs) you know, the way all of that stuff happened. But and the the Cliff Notes version is that uh, it was tough. It was a tough time. I think I said on something recently about how they used to come to practice telling me and D-West that the team was moving here, was moving there. And uh, it was was a lot going on. And if you know really all the details at the time, we had just came out of the CBA negotiation. So uh, one of the aspects of that wild tweet was uh, the fact that the trade had gotten vetoed. But if you really know the dynamics of everything that was going on, with them telling me that I was going to have to go back and finish the rest of the season in New Orleans, right? I was going to lose my bird rights if I left. Next season. See, look at this. Look at this. Ah, now, you know, like, it's all these little details and intricacies of, see, that's why I don't talk that much.
0: Christopher Paul, <laughs> am I correct in saying, what, have you played 18 years?
3: Yeah.
0: Am I correct in saying that your bird rights have remained intact for the full 18 years?
3: I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I think Honestly, they have.
0: I, don't know. The contract,
1: I can, I can tell you they have,
3: they have okay. stayed.
0: I don't, we don't have <laughs> records on this. I, I believe you have controlled your bird rights. Well, I guess Kobe would have, cause he stayed with the team, but for somebody who's changed teams, maybe changed teams four times, five times, uh, your bird rights have stayed intact. And what I mean by bird rights, I mean, our listeners know, but the ability for teams to sign you regardless of the cap and, uh, That is like, because I, because I feel like, look, when the when the when the Lakers thing didn't work out, you lost control, and I feel like you have been able to control some of the moves, not everyone, but certainly the move from the Clippers, which was next level. You've been able to to maintain your bird rights and at least at sometimes get where you want to go for 18 years. In all honesty, you should be teaching a seminar to some of these guys getting drafted because that's a serious accomplishment. And I know that you know how valuable it is and you're worth every penny you've made, but your salary is as high as it is because you've been able to maintain those bird rights. I think it's impressive and I think it should be instructive to not just give them away in the next, you know, 15 days, which I know, you know, but I don't have to tell you, but I just want to, your bird rights have stayed with you for 18 years. Um, I know that that's that. had to matter to you.
3: Appreciate that, Brian. But even aside from now, I'll tell you what, coming out of that CBA negotiation when they had nixed the trade, right? When they said this trade isn't happening, that was somewhat of an issue because now if I have to finish the entire season in New Orleans, right, then when the summer comes, if I go as a free agent I don't get that extra year. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. Absolutely. Exactly.
3: Absolutely. So that's what everybody didn't. They was missing out in this whole situation for all these years is that by nixing it, you were literally making me lose 20 million dollars.
0: And you did it again when you left the Clippers. You went to the, the Rockets in a way that allowed you to keep your bird rights. I mean,
3: yeah, but it's, it's so much even more to even me getting to the Clippers. But that's that's for another day. Well, you get into well, the Clippers. Hey, you had Mark Cuban in Dallas
2: blowing up a championship team, just rubbing his hands together saying, I'm getting Chris Paul and Dwight Howard. <laughs> you 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 let your man Mark Cuban down biting up with the Clippers and uh and then uh you know opting into that next year and then re-signing there.
3: But you don't even know how that went down, so <laughs> feel free to feel free to elaborate. No, 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 no. It's all good, <laughs> but you know, Mark. Mark had a great thing going in Dallas, but it was a, it was a, it was a lot going on at the time. I just, just to say the least. But it's it's crazy how everything worked out, and I'm I'm so grateful. Like, one thousand percent, I was excited to play with Kobe. Like, we got on the phone. Me and Kobe had got on the phone. I think Trevor Ariza was at my house, and we was trying to figure out if we could get Trevor in the trade too, so he could get back to LA. So it was it was a, it was a crazy night.
2: Well, you were able to reunite with Trevor uh, with the Rockets. And you know, obviously I covered you, I covered that team closely. And, you know, that first year, there's all the questions about, hey, Chris and James, you know, two ball dominant guards, et cetera, et cetera. All you guys did was led the league with 65 wins. You know, I I I don't even want to say a hamstring away. That I know that that haunts Rockets fans. I know that's a, a tough memory for you, but you guys were without question a championship caliber team and then the next year well, why did things you know go south to the point where you know that team had just one more year in it before uh it was broken up
3: be real honest with you that, that first year in houston might have been top two top three or the best team i ever played on like seriously we were so connected defensively offensively and I talk about, when I talk about basketball, I talk about it because those years I was in Houston, we played the entire season to get ready for one team, mm-hmm. for Golden State, right? We played the entire season. Our defensive game plan, our offensive game plan, every single game was to get ready for Golden State because uh, there's a certain way you had to play in order to beat those teams. Um, honestly, why I believe our team was so different that second year, we didn't bring back trouble or reason. Honestly, like, I'm, I'm, I mean that wholeheartedly. And it's so crazy that the way the league works with analytics and all this different type of stuff, because what happens is sometimes you have executives who will say, oh, this guy shoots 45% and this guy shoots 45%. Oh, they both do this. And then you think that you have the same player, which you, you don't. You know what I mean? So Trevor was a big part of that team. You know what I mean? Just the way that he could talk to Tuck. He could talk to James. He could talk to me and all of that. And we was really good that next year, but it was it was different not having uh TA in the locker room.
1: You talked before, it was interesting, Chris, having you go through all those hand injuries and sort of remembering exactly when everything happened. You're talking about this Rockets team. You've been on great teams for basically the past 10, 12 years and been yeah. close a ton of times and had you know various injuries or bad luck happen a bunch of times. Given how you process things and you think about things, how much do you think about the various moments? Without I don't need to go through them. You think you know what all the ones I'm talking about? How close you've been, a bunch of different points to getting all the way to the top. Like, does that stuff that s- spins through your head? Or Are you able to kind of? I mean, I'm I, on what's I, in front.
3: I got two kids. I'm married. I got a crazy, like, uh, a amazing family that I'm with day in and day out, and a lot of other things going on. But I, I think basketball a lot, right? So obviously now if we was to like sit and talk about it or whatnot, I can recall this or talk about this or whatnot. But I, I've been a firm believer in like, you remember these different things, but you can't dwell on
1: them. Right? Yeah.
3: You can dwell on them. Cause if that's the case, you just sit around and you start telling high school stories. and You know what I mean? You never get back, get back to work, but uh, I'm very aware of everything that's taking
0: place. So this, the CBA that you negotiated as the prime, one of the prime things you accomplished is the, President of the Players Association is about to expire. During the CBA, we've seen huge increases and in flexibility for guys at the top end, increases for guys at the bottom end, uh, parody in the league, which has been the dream of the owners for a long time, five different titles, and of course, the bubble, where uh who who knows what you and Bob Iger and Adam Silver did. I mean, that's that speaking of other books you could write. Yeah, right. If you can write with this, if if you if you're gonna continue to write with Michael Wilbon with this inspect introspection I'd, I'd like to suggest um a multi book deal coming up because it would be very good but i want to ask you about one big thing that you did and that was the decision to allow the salary cap to spike um which unfortunately built this team the golden state that was hard for you guys to climb over you're that's talking been a step, huge
3: talk about it's that it's moving yeah as we are talking about
0: yeah yeah that when you look back at that that series of decisions how do you how do you feel about the way that went?
3: Um, Man, it's so crazy. Because when you say we're about to talk about this big situation that happened, I'll be over here like, which one, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, know.
0: I know, I know, I know, I know what you mean.
3: I don't want to say it's like PTSD or whatnot, but it's, it's a lot. It was, it was a lot. And so, and it was obviously y'all know it wasn't just me. It was an executive committee. Of course, and it was of course. for sure. Happening all day, every day. And I'm going to tell you like, there were so many different things that I was really good at, but there were certain things that this guy may be good at. Andrea Godala might be good at this one. James Jones, ironically, was my vice president at the time. You know, he was really good at certain things. You know, so we had a lot of back and forth conversations about the smoothing or whatnot. So someone was going to get affected, right? No matter what, no matter how you did it, you know, certain guys might not have got a salary increase or whatnot, but sometimes that just happens to be your free agent class, right? That's like, even like when the summer come up and I know everybody be like, oh, it's going to be a lot of money this summer. It's going to be a lot of money. Some summers it's not, right? So I think that was sort of the, the thinking and that, you can't fault this guy because his free agency comes up when teams don't have as much money,
0: right? As much cap space. So. What about how it, the Warriors were able to build the super team out of it? I mean, obviously you can't make a decision for one player, but it, it's affected the one team more than anybody. I feel like. Yeah.
3: I don't know. I would have to go back and like look at all the details of it, but I'm going to tell you like, there's always a different perspective too, because I'm a player. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like so for me, I, that that was a great team, but for me, I've never really cared what happened, who went where, who played together and all that stuff. Cause at the end of the day, you still gotta play the game. You know, I know they were a great team, 73 and 9 and all that stuff. But at the time, you know, we thinking, I don't care who we'll go play together. We, we we gotta play the game. This ain't 2K, you can't simulate
2: it. You yeah, know, you went uh fourth overall in the 05 draft. And I don't have to remind you there was a point guard picked right before you, Darren Williams. You will. And I know you well enough to know just how ruthlessly competitive you are. That's no secret. Uh, And there was a stretch there early in your career where there was a debate. Hey, you know, best point guard in the league. Is it CP3? Is it D. Will? Uh, I'm curious, what has that relationship been like uh, over the years, you know, when you were rivals to now that, you know, you're still rolling and he's been retired for several years now?
3: D. Will is a really good friend of mine. Always was, and we was always competitive against each other. We played against each other in college. You know what I'm saying? D. Will was a year older than me. We played against each other in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We had just found out we was number one in the country right before we played them at Illinois, and they beat the hell out of us. They beat us bad. And so That was a great – they had a great team. Yeah, they did. Actually, one of my assistant coaches this past year, well, in Phoenix, Brian Randall, he was on the team. Yep. I mean, they had D. Brown. They, they was nice. Um, but me and D will talk often. D will had like a, was an MMA fight or whatnot that he had Mm -hmm. last year that I actually was trying to get to. We had a day in between games and I was going to go. So, uh, when we played in Utah this year, I think D came to the game. So it's, it's crazy how life happens, man. Like, and I, and I mean that because, uh, D will was the third pick. I was fourth. Raymond was the fifth pick. And then me and Raymond ended up playing together and with the clippers and i never forget and this is so crazy like i remember d will might have been in brooklyn at the time or something and he was thinking about leaving and i remember doc you know him saying like they was thinking about bringing d will in our team so we all was gonna be on the same team i was like whoa now oh no that's that's a little that's kind of crazy to have all of <laughs> us you know what i mean three four and five on the on the same team but uh yeah, man,
1: D, D. Will is uh is, is my guy for life. Well, speaking of that draft, I, I believe there there was some thought at the time that you were going to go second, or at least to you Atlanta. were maybe thinking you were going to go to Atlanta. Um, yeah. sort of what was draft night like as you were waiting to find out where you were going to wind up?
3: Man, I just knew I was going to Atlanta. I knew I was going to the Hawks. Um, it was it was crazy because um, I worked out for the Hawks and I worked out against um, y'all know Air Miles
0: oh yeah Mm
3: -hmm. yeah for sure he was in boston this past year yeah yeah so i worked out for the hawks against aaron against aaron miles and because i was a top pick you really ain't supposed to work out against people you know what i mean and i remember i remember when i went to work out for charlotte i went and got in the car and tony douglas was in the car and i was supposed to be working out by myself and my agent was like uh Get out the car. You're supposed to be working out by yourself. I was like, hell no. I've been waiting to play against somebody. <laughs> <laughs> same, same thing against Aaron Miles. My, my workout against Aaron Miles was so good. Like, so good. So I thought I was done with workouts. Worked out against Atlanta. Went to the Omni Hotel. I'm like, cool. I can go back home. Done with these workouts. Y'all, I don't know if y'all know it, but then New Orleans called. New Orleans called my agent. They said they wanted me to come work out the next day. And I was like, nah. <laughs> I said, no. I said no, because they had the fourth pick. Charlotte had the fifth pick. And at the time, I was like, if, if I drop all the way to four, I'd rather go home to right. North Carolina with five. Right. Yep. They said, nope. They said, he need to fly here and
0: tell us that. Delta flight blah 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 to new orleans <laughs> we're now boarding what'd you say delta flight to new orleans now boarding <laughs> so they told
3: me they was like you need to come out here and tell us that yourself um like yeah they was like if you don't come out here and work out we're gonna pick you anyway oh. so i flew out and uh i worked out and i asked him to take me by b scott byron scott who I'm so grateful for, like, so grateful for B Scott. That that is my family. For like, him and uh, Alan Bristow took me to TGI Fridays. Alan <laughs> Bristow, what? Was my, yeah,
0: in New me. Orleans, they took you to TGI Fridays.
3: Yeah. Then I went and worked out, and I don't know how to throw a workout. Y'all used to hear people say like they throw workouts, like
0: miss
1: shots,
3: stuff like that.
1: I killed. Not it. really how you're not how you're wired. <laughs>
3: I don't know about that. I don't know about all that. So I, I killed the workout. Didn't even stay tonight. Big Shot, who's still the manager now, uh, the equipment guy for uh, New Orleans, took me on the way to the airport. He took me by Bourbon Street because I just wanted to see that. Then he took me, uh, took me to the airport. So, so <laughs> the he said, with the number two pick, Atlanta Hawks, start getting up by my chair. It's was like Marvin Williams. <laughs> Jeez. Sit back down, huh?
0: <laughs> More TGI Fridays in your future.
3: And New yeah. Orleans New Orleans ended up being the best thing that ever, ever happened to
0: me. You guys yeah. ran an offense that was ahead of your time there.
3: Where in the New offense,
0: Orleans, you yeah, you guys would run high pick and roll, was spread out. the floor.
3: We used to run it was kind of like uh, um it was called forwards out, right? So we used to start like with a dribble handoff, then you swing it, and then you do the chin action. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chin action, New Jersey used to run, too, for the best All Right, So chin action is you swing it, the guy at the top swings it, he cuts off the big to the baseline, then you hit the big, then the guys come off pin downs. Mm-hmm. We used to run that, and then we used to run um, the Lakers triangle offense. So we called it low post, same side.
0: You threw 400 lobs to Tyson Chandler. <laughs> and you you knew where David West was gonna be on the mid-range and Pedro Stojakovic and Mo Pete, and you could run that offense in the dark, and it was a math problem. You'd come off the screen, you'd see what they do, and you'd make the right play every time. It was an awesome offense. It could have gone farther. Um, you know it what? Was,
3: that the was snake in the ball screen or whatnot, right? So uh Dr. Jack, who passed away a couple years ago. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Dr. Yeah. Ramsey.
3: Doctor Jack, yeah. Jack Ramsey, Ramsey yeah. Coach Ramsey. I always appreciated him because some people just like he. Every time he used to see me, he used to come up to me and be like, "You started that that cutback, that that snake in the ball screen." And so I was playing in New Orleans, and I didn't used to shoot the ball that well. And me and Tyson just started that one day of practice. Because he started setting the screen a certain way and I would cross grain. So then it forced me and
0: Tyson to be on
3: a two on one on
0: the big. Well, that, I think that office is ahead of its time. I'm not an X and O expert. You just lost me about four different times talking <laughs> about chin action. But we're not gonna go very far if you and I are talking X's and O's. Um we know you gotta go, but before you do, I just you've been away from your family during the seasons for years now, basically since you got traded to Oklahoma City. Is that right? Yep. I know how important it is to you. You told me you've got a 14 and a 10 year old. I've got a five year old. I have problems. I just got off the playoffs where I was gone for so long. I have problems. So I understand. I have to believe that playing with your family has got to be a priority. I'm not asking you to break news here, but it just makes sense um, who live in Los Angeles.
3: I'm going to tell you the truth. Like, uh, one thing that I'm fortunate to have, right, with my wife is that we really talk to our kids. Right. They're 14 and they're 10. So especially like my son, my daughter, she don't care too much. She's <laughs> a she, world. She is an angel. But she you tell her she'll she'll figure it out. She'll, but but my son is cool because he's at an age where he's very aware of everything that's going on. So when things come up or it was even a possibility of a trade for me, we talk about what this contract could look like, what that would look like living here if you take this much money where it live, here. So he is very aware of everything. And I appreciate that about him, about my wife. And so.
0: He's talking are- about his inheritance. He may you might not care about the 15 million. He does. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> he on, set man.
3: himself up
2: to be the uh, players association <laughs> <laughs> president in about 15 years is what's happening. Yeah right.
3: yeah. right. Oh, that inheritance tied up with so much stuff. We don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are you excited to watch him go through high school and play Chris?
3: I am. I am. I'm excited about it. Uh, and my
1: daughter, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know about y'all, but my,
3: my folks didn't miss anything. My dad coached me football, basketball, and he had a regular job. You know what I mean? So the fact that they made a way, you know, with just regular means of income, you know, it's just, you want to be as present as possible. But like I said, my family knows me best. So they know what makes me tick and what makes me go. So they they know when they'll be a part of any decision that's
0: made. All right. Well, you got to go. You got on your book tour. Thank you for your time. I think it's going to work out for you. Who knows where you'll end up on Friday. It may not be Washington. I'll leave it at that. And... Thank you to your agent Jess Holtz for making this possible as well she's an avid listener and supporter of the pod so she'll uh, mm-hmm. she'll be, she'll be uh, mad at she'll be mad at me in another 3 or 4 days about something but it'll be okay
2: <laughs> and, an avid and, uh, listener supporter is is uh, that, that, that's conditional <laughs> That's
0: fair let me rephrase that Thank you for your time Chris we'll see you out there on the NBA road
2: More Hoop Collective podcast
0: after this If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast the truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10 minute low impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30 minute live deep J Ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom. All right, joining us now is our brand new draft analyst and contributor here at ESPN. Joined us from Sports Illustrated. I think uh, you're joining us, Jeremy, from Chicago. Is that right?
4: Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Grew up here. Live here. uh, Happy to be here. All
0: right. This is Jeremy Wu. Good to talk to you. Good to... I think this is the first time we've met over Zoom. I don't know. Or over audio. So welcome. And uh, I'm actually really happy to have you on today, not just because the draft is on Thursday, and as anybody who listens to this pod knows, I know next to nothing about the draft. So you, I've got very little, you're going to dominate this section because I know very little about it. Um, but uh, you, you and Jonathan Gavoni uh, released a new uh, mock draft on, uh, on Tuesday. And so you've got the freshest analysis and information in here. And um, this is, uh, Jeremy, you've covered, I don't know how long you've covered the draft for, but this is a more of a spicy lottery than i feel like we've seen the last few years not that i'm an expert on it
4: yeah absolutely um i mean right at the top obviously you know we've been talking about you know possible you know trades at two and three now for you know a week or so but but really all the way down uh, and i think that has to do also um not not just sort of like the flatter nature of the draft class but just the supply and demand with uh with draft picks where you have so many picks uh, concentrated with uh, really a handful of teams, uh, you know, Indiana, Utah, Charlotte, uh, Brooklyn has a couple first rounders. Uh, you know, these teams, a lot, a lot of teams with multiple picks. Uh, a lot of those teams are teams that already have young players and are, uh, you know, sort of in the process of building, don't necessarily need all the picks. Uh, and then obviously factoring in uh, the impact of the new CBA, uh, how that impacts uh, particularly higher paying teams and their draft picks uh, I think there's a lot of incentive for people to move around. Um, I feel like every year I go somewhere and I say, "Oh, there's going to be all these trades," and then nothing happens. But uh, I do think this year there are more more behind that than than normal.
0: Yeah. So okay. So the drama in this draft is going to be with Charlotte uh, with the number two pick. And for the last two mock drafts, you guys have Brandon Miller from Alabama, small forward, great size in there. Um, Uh, And look, by the way, I am fully aware that this is not an exact science because at the top of the draft, I am having conversations um, and uh, talking to teams all day long. And there is uncertainty here. And I assume there's some level of uncertainty in the Charlotte organization itself. But you for the second straight mock, you and Jonathan have uh, Brandon Miller at number two. That is a huge decision. Uh, And I thought maybe you could elaborate as to why it's such a big decision between him and Scoot Henderson and what you think is going into it for Charlotte going into Thursday
4: night. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, coming into the year, uh, it was a lot of Scoot talk at number two. And I I think we've we've sort of seen this unfold over the last uh, several months. Uh, Teams sort of came to the conclusion that Scoot, his his season uh, with Ignite, started off amazing with his head-to-head performance against Wimbanyama, but then sort of was up and down, wasn't overwhelming for a guy who was in his second year at that level. I think people were hoping for more, and that kind of left the door open, right? And then you saw Miller uh, have an excellent season at Alabama, off-court situation, notwithstanding, but just purely talking about his play, was the best freshman in college basketball. And as a tall, shot-creating wing, those types of players are always in demand. So uh, I think you've sort of seen that unfold here with the team, now landing at number two in the lottery with Charlotte where they have LaMelo ball. Uh, It's not a clear cut choice one way or the other. Uh, There are teams that have Miller at number two. And I think uh, what I've heard seems to be that that is the more likely direction. I don't think it's a done deal. Uh, I think both those guys going back to Charlotte for workouts and second round of interviews, I think suggest that that they're still figuring out what they're going to do this week. Um, but it is a huge decision for them you know, getting some luck here and then transitioning into this period of uh new majority ownership coming in this summer. It, it sounds like the owners are not going to be meddling. They're going to let uh, the front office make this. Decision. That is strange. I have yeah. to say
0: like um, meddling, they're buying the team, <laughs> you know, like uh, this is an unusual situation. It has happened over the years, a handful of times where there is an ownership transfer in place when there's a Either the trade deadline or, uh, I mean, that was a big thing. Like this year, would Matt Ishbia get in charge of the Suns by the trade deadline? He did. And oh, goodness, what happened? There have been times when there's been ownership transfers in place during the draft. And I think it's gone both ways where the incumbent owner, look, the money isn't wired yet. You're not approved. uh, I'm making the pick. In this case, Jeremy, you have... um, uh uh, currently a minority owner in Gabe Plotkin with some partners he is buying out his partner Michael Jordan so they're already in business together secondly Jordan is keeping a significant percentage of the team he's not going away so there's some investment on both ends here between Plotkin and Jordan both before this process and after so it's it's interesting that it as you just said, the word is that Jordan is the one overseeing this. And I wonder how much of a role that plays. I don't have an answer. I don't expect you to either, but I do think that that's an interesting thing looking, looking at this situation.
4: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, look, you, you think, you know, whether or not there are more changes coming to that front office, uh, which always could be the case with ownership. I think that uh, you got to let the people do their job. So, you know, I get why, and I think it's probably a good sign, frankly, about this this new new ownership uh, taking over that they're they're willing to let these people sort of finish the job, right? It's a it's a bad time to insert yourself in a, a year round decision process when the decision is a week away, right? So uh, I can see that being smart.
0: By the way, I hear Charlotte is almost certainly going to make a draft night trade, maybe even two draft night trades. Wait, yeah, for the aggregator, wait for the aggregators to get their pads out. <laughs> <laughs> With their five second round draft picks that they have. <laughs> is it five that they have? Five second round picks?
4: Yeah, they they have, let's see, they have so they have 27, which is end of the first. They have 34, right. 39, uh, and 41.
0: Oh, five overall. Okay. I think it's so three second total. round picks. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I ex- they are calling around looking because they don't they don't want slash need five new players on their roster. So I gotta feel that they will. They will not have five new players uh, by the end of the night. So uh, we'll see about that. Okay. So, Scoot Henderson at number three. Now, um, you and Jonathan have something in the story that also backs up something that I've heard over the last 24, 48 hours, which is that the Blazers are, you know, let me just write it the way you guys have it written. Actually, I think Jonathan wrote this section, but barring a team unexpectedly emerging on draft night with an offer they simply can't refuse. Sources told ESPN the Trailblazers are planning on keeping the pick and adding the type of talent to the roster they would be hard-pressed to bring through to Portland if not through the draft. Number one, I agree with that reporting. That is also what I have heard, that Portland at this point, and look, we are in misinformation, disinformation, smokescreen time of the process, okay? But I the word out there is that the, the Blazers are going to draft and not trade. So that's number one. Number two, and I'll see if you agree with this, Jeremy. I have scouts who I trust. This is not my opinion. This is scouts who I trust. Tell me that Scoot Henderson, the way things look right now, would be the number one pick in 2024 and maybe even 2025 based on the the flow of what those draft classes look like. So you have a player here. <clears throat> who in many other years would be potentially a number one pick, which is one of the reasons why I think the Blazers have gotten to this. Now I, I'll listen to what you think about everything I just said, and you feel free to invalidate any or all of it.
4: No, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Uh, it's obviously one of the challenges of this type of work that, that we do and the teams are doing all the time uh, is trying to figure out what's coming because, you know, we're talking about teenagers, their bodies change, they improve, their circumstances change. There's so many different things that can happen. Uh, between you know one given draft to the next to the next, but when you frame it like that, talking about Scoot, uh, it's a very salient point that uh, you look at Portland being a team that's kind of at this perpetual crossroads, right? Where they've tried to get younger, they have not. You know, Dame is happy there for now, and they've had this ongoing situation where it's like, do you rebuild or do you try to put a competitive team around him, and how do you thread that needle and uh, if you look at it from their perspective, you know, they get some luck in the lottery. Uh, you get a player uh, or a chance at a player here with, with Henderson who you weren't expecting to have, uh, who, who can maybe be the face of that next era. Um, do you really pass on that trying to prolong uh, this window uh, for into Dame's 30s? Uh, or do you say, well, maybe this is uh, the impetus we need to let's take this guy and just kind of figure it out. Uh, whatever it brings, we'll, we'll be OK with that. Um, so because glad it might be a couple more the, drafts.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you use the phrase thread the needle. Because this is the fr- I'm going to trademark this. Thread the needle <laughs> trademark. This maybe there should be a t-shirt company in Portland that comes up with some t shirts. I can see it in like cursive writing with like, like a needle going through a thread on the end of it. <laughs> Jonathan yeah. has used this phrase privately to me. Blazers executives have used this phrase. You just use the phrase people I've talked to on the Dame Lillard side have used this phrase, thread the needle. I'm not sure that Dame is interested in threading the needle. So it's been hard to read Lillard. One of the things he and Joe Cronin, general manager said what they said at the end of the season uh, in their exit interviews, basically they want to get veterans and improve rapidly. Now Dame said these words, Joe Cronin said these words. That was April 15th, 16th ish. And then on May 18th or whatever the delay of the lottery was, they jumped into the top three. They were fifth. Am I right, Jeremy? Do you remember?
4: I think that's correct. Um,
0: How big is the difference in this draft between the fifth pick and the third pick?
4: Yeah. uh, I think it's, it's certainly substantial. I mean, Miller, Henderson, Henderson and Miller, that seems to be the way most people are cutting their board. Uh, And it's, um, it's a different tier. I think most people would agree. Uh, ahead of so the next group of players,
0: yeah. right. So basically, in in short, the circumstances from that that proclamation at the end of the season have changed. The quality of player that the Blazers might be able to get by by hitting part of the lottery is different than where they thought they might not jump up. And so that is a development in the Dame millard saga that bears watching. How's that for saying it artfully? Okay. <laughs> now, now, so we're going to see a lot of interest in the draft. At two and three, that first hour of the draft, we're going to have our Victor Wembanyama moment. He's going to go up and um, have the 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 pose with with um, with Adam Silver. We're going to have a great moment. We're going to and all that, and then we're going to get the real intrigue um, in what happens at two and three, especially if there's a trade. Now, this is where you and Jonathan and the rest of the draft experts go to work because now we start the draft, and there's been some moving at this most latest mock here in the next few picks, what has been the biggest changes that you guys have made in your evaluation of how things might change over these next few picks?
4: So, so we've had a Thompson uh, sitting at number four uh, for a little bit. Now uh, we haven't changed that, but I think the, I think the most interesting thing for us going into this week uh, is the situation with Cam Whitmore, who uh, I think maybe as of a week ago or so, uh, I think a lot of people were penciling in at, five, maybe even four, but more likely five to Detroit. Uh, This week, it started to sound like that may not be what Detroit does. Uh, I've heard mixed things about Whitmore's workouts a little bit. Uh, There seems to be, I don't know how far he can necessarily fall. We have him falling to eight here to Utah. I don't know if that, I don't know if he actually gets that far on draft. Nine to Utah. That's what I mean. I'm sorry. Nine to, to Utah. So he's in the top 10. Uh, But the fact that he's sort of a moving piece and we have Jairus Walker now uh, going to Detroit at number five. uh, And that creates some interesting possibilities that can kind of shake up this range because Orlando is a team that's hard to read at number six. Uh, They can go a few different directions there, none of which would necessarily surprise me. And then, you know, there's been chatter about uh, Utah calling Detroit, trying to get up to number five using nine and 16 that I've heard. So Mm. Okay. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is, but it's it's that five spot is where things get if if we assume okay. that Thompson is for, right?
0: right. so there's been i th- I think some people are going to be somewhat uh, familiar with amen Thompson. he's a wing um spent this last year at overtime elite in Atlanta um, and he's a player who how would you describe him jeremy? he's got excellent size and known for his playmaking and defense, but not so much as for his shooting. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think he's maybe the best athlete in the whole draft, just in terms of run, run, jump skills. Uh, He he glides on the court. He is great in transition Uh, has sort of fashioned himself into a player who people think can be a, uh, can be a point guard in the best case, and th- those type of you know tall, fast point guards who can get to the paint like and really pass. I mean, those guys can be uh, pretty game breaking if if it, if it works out. So you can see the upside with him. Um But the, yeah, the shooting I think is then the big question of you know if he doesn't shoot, what does this look like? Right? I, I think it's something that I've used sort of the Ben Simmons quandary as kind of a Ooh, a point. I should right? have just put up my you spine if I
0: was if I was a, a rocket. <laughs> fan by the way just to give you some intel on the rockets i've most recently heard there was a while where the rockets thought they might move this pick from what i understand there and like you can feel free to 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 dispute me on this or you know give information it doesn't sound like the rockets are really looking to move this pick anymore they are looking to move maybe some other players on their roster to free up some cap space as they go into the uh free agent market but i it's my understanding they're going to stay put here uh for all this for all this uh talk and and discussion about trades. I, I think the first four picks could go without trades I suspect that as we sit here and do right, right, right now.
4: Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I think in some ways it's a luxury for Houston, right? Because you kind of know, no matter what happens in front of you, you have a pretty good feel for who the first three picks are going to be. And uh, if it goes off script, well, then you will be comfortable taking whichever of Henderson and Miller would shockingly fall to four. Right.
0: What is the difference that you see, um, and primarily, difference between Amen and Asur. is it As- Asur, Is that how you say?
4: Uh, Asar, Asar, Asar. Yeah. Uh,
0: Amen and Asar, his twin brother, um, who you've got going sixth to the magic. But w- what is the primary difference between the two? We've seen this over the years with twins in picked close together. I mean, the t- the Morris brothers went, I think, a pick or two apart um -hmm. in uh whatever year there was obviously the lopez twins both went i think in the lottery uh brooke i think was the third pick and i want to say robin was 10 or 11. um we've seen twins go high like this before uh what is the primary difference you see them in them as prospects
4: well yeah it's funny with twins it always takes a little bit of time to figure this out Uh, (laughs) particularly when they're identical size very similar they play on the same team uh, the way the way that I've kind of sort of boiled it down, uh, and it helps, I guess, having seen them play together as well. It helps in on one hand because you kind of know what roles they prefer because they've been playing together their whole lives. So uh, Amen is more of a point guard, uh, more of a distributor, likes to have the ball in his hands. Uh, Asar can do some of those things, uh, but he's more of a scorer. Uh, he's a little bit more comfortable catching and shooting, so he's he's more of a wing who can play off the ball more comfortably uh defensively, I think Asar, and they they've told me that too. They both told me that like probably a year ago when I talked to them about it, trying to figure out you know how they grew up together. Uh, Asar is always the guy who took the tougher defensive assignment, so they both have potential to be very good defenders, but I think I think it's more ingrained in Asar to sort of be the perimeter stopper, right so so you could say Aman is sort of the big jumbo point guard playmaker where Asar is more of a he can play on the ball and he can pass, but he's more of like uh he slots more neatly into that traditional perimeter scorer, perimeter stopper, two-way type of wing role.
0: Okay, so it, it, it kind of sounds like the draft really starts at five, right? So tell us the difference that you see. You've got Jerez Walker uh, from Houston, power forward, going number five right now to to, to the Pistons. It sounds like you guys are working real hard on, on deciphering whether or not that's going to end up actually being there. And then you have the possibility, you mentioned Cam Whitmore, who's a, a wing out of Villanova. Can you talk sort of about what you think Walker is and and, and why you think Whitman is sort of like the, the big swing guy in this lottery?
4: Yeah, well, I think Walker is definitely the safer play. Physically, he's off the charts. Uh, he's excellent defensively. Uh, he played a role at Houston that's pretty similar to, I think, what teams will ask of him uh, in the NBA, where he kind of covers a lot of ground on defense. He's a big guy. He can switch a little bit, has some good sort of offensive framework in terms of he can pass pretty well for a big guy, he can handle a little bit, He can play on the perimeter a little bit. Uh, his offense is still a work in progress, right? He still sometimes wavers a shooter with his confidence, but he can make open shots, but... Uh, you know, that's the guy you're taking. You're hoping that he develops offense that catches up in a way that's complementary to your stars. Uh, you're not going to rely on him, I don't think, to be a top option. Uh, but the, ar- the array of things he can do uh, as a power forward who can maybe toggle down to the five sometimes, maybe toggle up uh, to the three, depending on who's on the floor. Uh, I think that's pretty valuable whenever you have guys who are that big that are, are versatile. Uh, whereas Whit- Whitmore, I would say, is more of a scorer. Uh, he's a little bit more explosive of an athlete. Uh, Not as good in terms of feel, not as much of a playmaker, uh, not as much of a defender. I think a little bit was underwhelming at Villanova. Uh, But the upside there being a little bit younger, uh, being more of a shot creator is interesting. More Hoop Collective podcast after this.
0: Com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Yeah. So it's interesting thing here. The, the Pistons do not need more bigs. So it it's interesting if they would go with the power four instead of a small forward. And then one team that is definitely on the lookout for a four in this draft and in free re-agency slash the offseason are the Pacers who have the seventh pick. And there were some folks who thought that Walker might end up being a Pacer and if Walker is off the board here, that Taylor Hendricks, who's another power forward out of UCF, might, um, might be their pick. I think they, they could be in the market for, for a guy like Grant Williams. He's, they've got salary cap space, and Grant Williams is a restricted free agent. But uh, you have Hendricks going to the Pacers at number seven with Walker off the board in the most recent mock. What do you see about him and the Pacers?
4: Yeah. Hend- Hendricks, I think falls right in line with what you said. Um, they are looking for uh, a power forward. They are hoping, I think they are hoping that Walker makes it to seven. I don't know that he necessarily will, as we just talked about, but um, if he's gone, Hendricks is a very different player. Uh, he's not as bulky. He's not as big, but he is more of a shot blocker. He's a much better shooter, uh, has some untapped upside as sort of a late blooming guy was not, did not come into the year uh, someone people viewed as a first round pick whatsoever. Right. And now here he is maybe going to the top 10. Uh, but I, the other thing I've heard about Indiana is they're open to potentially moving that pick. I don't know what the likelihood is, but I, uh, I know there's interest in adding a bigger wing. I don't think they want to overpay to do that. Um, but they do want to be competitive. And, and I'm curious if Walker is gone, whether they do end up just happy with Hendricks or they do look to uh, maybe move that pick in some, in some respect.
0: Yeah, there's been some word about who the who teams are trying to send to Indiana for the number seven pick, and who Indiana is making offers for the number seven pick. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit hesitant to get into who they are, but some some of the trades I've heard make sense. Some of them don't, so I'm skeptical about what's excuse me uh, true there. But they do seem to be looking for a wing, um, a, a wing with size. Um, Wanted to ask you, you have Anthony Black out of Arkansas going eight. Um, a couple of scouts that I've talked to are very high on him. And uh, a lot of people think that he is in the wake of Bradley Beal being traded. He's a, a, a combo guard. Uh, could is similar to Beal um, in terms of position, not in terms of the game. But um, a lot of people think this is where the Wizards are going to go. Uh, Travis Schlenk. Uh, who is um, both Will Dawkins and Travis Schlenk, who Michael Winger hired to be his uh, right-hand men in Washington, both of them known for their their draft acumen, particularly Travis Schlenk, uh, who was drafted very well at Golden State and then as the, as the uh, Hawks uh, general manager, getting their first choice here. Um, what do you think about Anthony Black? Why do you think it makes sense for the Wizards?
4: Black is one of my favorite guys in the draft, honestly. Uh, so I, he's someone I, I think in a vacuum might might take higher than this. Um, I am always careful to not. I, I try not to let my own opinion on players kind of color like what I think will happen in the draft because I've made made that mistake in the past. But uh, I just think he kind of fits what where the game is going right now, where everybody wants these big jumbo uh, perimeter guys who can pass uh who make good decisions who can handle and create for teammates uh black is very unselfish uh, he's a very good defender i think one of the better defenders in the draft really good balance uh for someone who's 6'6 6'7 uh the question with him is is his shooting uh which it's, it's funny we talk about the guys who we sort of have sitting in the lottery in this next group none of them are amazing shooters really in terms of the wings and guards uh so that probably helps him a little bit so, you know you can Someone made that point to me the other day. You know, if you're talking about Black versus, um, say, Ossar Thompson, you know, it's neither one of them is a great shooter, so it's hard to, like, hold it against either one relative. Uh, but I, I think Black – I think Washington would be a good situation where he can really uh, develop as an offensive creator, sort of have the keys, uh, have the freedom to make mistakes and learn. Um, it, building his confidence up is going to be important. He's a guy who was sort of a late bloomer and was – I think way better than anyone even expected at, at Arkansas this year. Um, but someone I think who's upside probably goes a little bit underrated in, in my opinion, uh, just, just in conversations, but there definitely, definitely has fans uh, around the NBA uh, who believe in him as well.
0: Right. And one of the reasons why people think it's Washington, and I don't know why you guys think it, but <clears throat> was because he went to, he went to Washington for a second workout, you know, which, Historically, second workouts can mean a lot of things They can be like, oh, yeah, we really want to see this guy and we want to bring in like our owner, uh, etc. Or it can be like, well, it's just the cost of a, of a Uber and a you know a black car and a, uh, and a flight and we can potentially um, throw up a smokescreen. So I don't know what it is. This is uh, the first draft for Michael Winger. I don't know, but maybe it's uh, legit. Maybe it's a smokescreen. Um wanted to ask you about a couple of their prospects in the draft. One of them is uh, is Grady Dick, who is uh, out of Kansas. Um, We saw a wing out of Kansas last year make a pretty big uh, uh, splash on the NBA playoffs with Christian Brown. Uh, Grady Dick, uh, good size, good shooter. You've got him going 11th to Miami. Um, I think this is a guy that people are going to be interested in. What do you think about him?
4: Definitely. um, Definitely someone who... I think projects to go in that back part of the lottery. Um, I think just when you see a guy who has the type of prototypical frame that, that, that Grady has and the uh, uh, the elite, you know, potentially elite skill with his, his shooting. Uh, that's not the type of player teams tend to overthink particularly not anymore. Uh, so you kind of know what he's bringing. Uh, I think Dick is probably a good fit. Um, we have him at Orlando uh, for 11. I, I think if he's there, someone they'll definitely think hard about. I think should he fall, uh, I think Oklahoma City would be interested. I think uh, Toronto would be interested at 13. I think New Orleans if he made it to 14. Uh, he's also someone they could use. So uh, someone who is just kind of an easy fit on a lot of teams just because of just the universal value, I think, of having a six, 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 seven guy who can really shoot, uh, who teams have to account for. And I think that's something that he'll be able to bring uh, right away as well.
0: Uh, Let me ask you about another guy only because I've seen him play a handful of times in person, Bilal Kulabali from Metropolitans 92, Victor Wemanyama's teammate this year. He's 18 years old. He's 6'8", 7'2", wingspan. I got the opportunity to watch him play several games, um, including uh, some of their junior games, um, and was out to see him in practice. Um, when I was over there, there was a number of executives who were not there to see Wembenyama specifically, but also to see Bilal, um, who were very closely watching him. Um, I think during the French finals, uh, Sam Presti popped up at a game watching, uh, Mets 92. And, um, we all know that, uh, you know, last year, the, the, um, uh, the, the, Thunder were at the, about the same spot. They have the 12th pick this year and they were at about the same spot. Um, and they picked Jalen Williams um, out of uh, Santa Clara ended up being one of the best picks in the draft. And so here's, they got the 12th pick again. And here's Sam going to watch Bilal Bali play. Um, and, but I wouldn't put it past uh, Presty to fly over to France just to throw up a smoke screen either because that's how <laughs> the Thunder operate. Uh, nobody seems to know what they're doing. Uh, if somebody in Oklahoma City front office is listening to this right now, they may be rubbing their hands together going, ha, ha, ha we got another one. Um, <laughs> but uh, you guys, so you guys have him going 16 to Minnesota, but openly admit that he's a bit of a mystery man in this draft too. He could go in the top 10 or he could, I say Minnesota, I meant Utah. Um, via Minnesota, Minnesota pick um one of the returns from the Gobert trade. Um, what do you think about? I know you recently went to France as well. Um, what do you think about Bilal Koulibaly and where he could be a sort of like a, 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 a up or down on this draft? Could be a, a guy who surprises people with how high he goes or he slides.
4: Well, I will tell you, I mean, it's his rise has been really, really interesting to watch. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know when, when you and Jonathan were over there, uh, how it was for, for you guys in terms of how he played. But when I was there, uh, in, uh, that was back in in November when I was uh, in France reporting that for Sports Illustrated. Uh, Bilal just seemed like sort of so far away uh, from being a first round pick. And just in terms of the game I saw, uh, what his role was in the team, uh, they weren't even sure if it would be this draft or next year's draft. But he just has come on uh, in such a big way uh, for that team. And I think. I think he's taken advantage of a couple things. One, uh being when teammate in the playoffs, everyone's watching, uh being 18 years old and and looking pretty ready. When you, when you catch one of his better games, uh seeing him physically what he can bring uh and sort of the versatility that he might be able to provide, it's pretty interesting. Um and certainly in a draft like this where there isn't a ton separating the the whole, you know, chunk of guys in this late lottery and on, um, someone you can talk yourself into. But the other thing I think he's benefited from is just, uh, almost, almost not being able to come over and work out, you know, teams only have so much to work with. Uh, when you do come over, sometimes you go through that process and you get nitpicked a little bit more. Right. So we have him at 16, but my gut says he'll go before that. It's just hard to identify a landing spot at this point with a couple of days to go. I I think that'll Mm -hmm. become probably more clear.
0: Let me tell you one of my favorite stories from my week I spent in France in January with Jonathan Gavoni, who, as you know, is a legend there. So we were going to go see Weminyama play against his former team, Asvel. And they have, what's the proper way to say this? the the The, the French word is espoir game, Jeremy. But it's right. like, I don't want to say JV game, but that's the best comparison like there's a there's a game with the junior players before the 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 senior game and it's several hours before the game and there was a whole bunch the game that i was at uh there was four nba gms there and there was probably people that i recognized from at least 10 teams maybe there were more i don't know i'm not a european scout i don't know everybody i just know some people um and so they're playing against this team and they have a guy who's going to be very highly selected in next year's draft. Zachary Rischache. Is that how you pronounce his name?
4: R- Rischache? Yeah, I think that's you're in the you're in the ballpark. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning well, that one too.
0: So yeah. the all these scouts really wanted to see Kubali play against Rishishet or Rischar. Zachary, okay? Who is like a 6 foot 9 point guard who Gavoni has in the top five in his in his 2024 mock. We'll see how it goes out. My point is he's a major European prospect. And but there was a game that night for the big team, and you know, Kubali had sort of worked his way into the rotation. And Gavoni was just like, well, he just was talking to, to officials from the two teams. He was just like, Well, I'd just like to let you know that the NBA scout, the NBA executives who are here would really love to see. I mean i heard these conversations he's just like they would really love to see those two guys go against each other you do what you got to (laughs) do guess what kubali played against risha in the um there was probably 40 people in the gym and like 15 of them worked for nba teams and kubali (laughs) now granted this was against the lower level competition kubali kicked ass in that game (laughs) kicked ass in that game uh, although I thought Richard share is a brilliant passer, I'm probably botching his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, and then he went and played in the big game and played pretty well too. Um, so uh, like I obviously I just, you know, you, 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 you got, you go out and do the work on these guys and see these guys. I never do this. So it's unusual that I've actually seen, you know, overseas guys play, but, uh, but I have, is there anybody else in this, you know, high in this draft, who is like a favorite of yours, who you would like to talk about a little bit more before we go.
4: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think this guy is also one of the more interesting names right now is Kobe Buffton, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of caught my eye early in the season at Michigan. And then by the end of the year, it was like very obvious that he, uh and, and not, not, you know, on the team with Jet Howard who started the season being joan howard's son having more of a little bit more of a acumen with with scouts well kobe sort of eclipsed him as did top he get prospect. Yeah. In
0: this, during the season jet
4: Didn't... jet had uh, an ankle injury i believe that was bothering him right. for a lot of the time right okay. um but as that happened we saw kobe buffkin kind of come on uh as in my opinion probably the best prospect in the big 10 um just just sort of this like ball of energy kind of good at everything uh Maybe not ready to be a point guard yet in the NBA. Maybe not a great, like, high, high high-level shooter yet, but just, like, not a ton of weaknesses. Uh, Rebounded really well. I saw him play here at Northwestern, uh, which is a good place to see teams like to come there because it's quick. You get in and out of Chicago fast. You can see these games. And um, Kobe really, I I think, sort of wrote his own discourse here where it's, like, actually, like, maybe I'm a lottery pick. And then I think his pre-draft process has reflected that. Uh, He has not worked out a ton of places, uh, has interest as high as number eight in the lottery with Washington. Uh, his range probably goes from there to the back of a, the lotteries now. So, uh, But he's someone I think the upside is maybe not discussed enough, but uh, someone who could end up being a really good player. He's younger than – he's a sophomore in, in college, but younger than some of the other freshmen that are in this draft and uh, just really broke out in a big way. Uh, the type of guy who I think is moldable, depending on how you want to develop him, uh, and someone I'm excited to see sort of how his career is going to go.
0: Michigan kind of had an underwhelming season this year, considering they're about to have two guys picked in the top 20
4: <laughs> I yeah. think
0: is, is fair to say, or anybody else in sort of the, you know, I'm not going to go all the way down, but anybody else in the back half of the first round that, um, you know, people should keep an eye out. Maybe a guy that you like before we go.
4: Yeah. I, I think one interesting trend. Um, and I'll just point to this sort of is in, in the scope of the draft. Uh, if you look at, 17, 18, 19, Lakers, Miami, Golden State. Uh, those are teams that are, you know, perennially trying to be competitive. Uh, a lot of teams are wondering, you know, will there be older college players who go in that range, right? And could you see some of these freshmen who are maybe higher in reputation uh, but and upside, but could you see those guys fall into the 20s because of how this draft is lined up? Uh, and a couple of players I like are in that range who I think have had really good uh, positive – uh, pre-draft processes is is uh, brandon pajemski from uh, from santa clara who i uh, have played well at the combine i have to say real quick really jeremy well. I, yeah. i'm
0: pretty sure santa clara didn't have a first round pick or any, maybe any draft pick but any first round pick between steve nash and jalen williams and now they're going to have back first round picks and back-to-back years pretty amazing <laughs> pretty amazing sorry Go yeah
4: on. no 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 um but I I think he's worked out really well uh, in a lot of places. Um, beginning with the Lakers, uh, Golden State, uh, those two teams have come up a lot for him. I think he's someone who's kind of kind of earned this uh, with a good pre-draft process. Uh, he has having been very focused on uh, what he needs to do to improve his stock. Uh, so I think he's an interesting one to watch. And then Jaime Jaquez from from UCLA, I think also now uh, seems to be sort of ticketed for the top twenty-five. This is a player who I've loved since. Uh, I guess uh a few years ago in the NCA tournament watching UCLA when he was uh I, I think a sophomore uh playing in the NCA tournament. Yeah, he's uh, a four-year
0: player uh small yeah. forward. You've got him going 25th to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies as you as you know drafts very well especially in the 20s. And uh the I got to say Rob Palinka has a very good track record of drafting in in the in a, uh you know when he's when he's had draft picks he he's done well. He hasn't had too many draft picks when well, he's had draft picks. He's done well as well. You're talking about a guy who could go to the Lakers at uh, what I think 17 is their pick. Uh, yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, okay. Well, um, thank you very much for all of your insight and expertise. And I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from you this week and onward. So, and I expect this, uh, mock draft to hit 100%. And if it doesn't, i <laughs>
4: Well, we, we, we try. I <laughs>
0: nice, did a mock right. draft, like, like 2000. Yeah. I was like, you know, back when like you're a beat writer, you know, and when I was working in Akron, I did a mock draft in um, like the 2004 or five draft or something, you know, and I literally got like, and back then, I think there's only 29 teams. I think I got one pick, right? One. <laughs> and after that, I go, nope, don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so I respect uh, respect the work that you put in, Jeremy, and thanks for joining us.
4: Anytime. Thank you. I pre- appreciate it, man.
0: Thanks again, Jeremy. And uh, be sure to come check out some of our Hoop Collective crew as we'll be streaming live with reaction to the first round of the NBA draft on the ESPN YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and more. Check out the Hoop Collective draft show. Okay. Thank you to Jeremy Wu. Thank you to Tim Bontemps. Thank you to Tim McMahon. Thank you to Jackson and Bruce, our producers. Thank you to Jessica Holtz from CAA. And thank you to Chris Paul, who his book is called 61 Life Lessons from Papa on and off the court with Michael Wilbon. Got a draft coming up and we will be talking to you guys after the draft. Thanks for listening.
2: Adios amigos.